the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. A Ukrainian strike kills Russian troops. Putin is going to try to leverage as many different things that he can in order to, at the very least, reach a stalemate in this war. McCarthy agrees to key concessions as he seeks to lock down the speakership. What happened is that he needs the votes and he still doesn't have them, having made the concession. Wall Street predicts a global recession in 2023. I don't feel very positive as we're as we're heading into 2023. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast. Your first look at today's top stories for Tuesday, January 3rd. I'm Mike Scott. According to reports, Ukraine has confirmed it carried out a strike in the occupied region of Donetsk, which it earlier claimed killed 400 Russian troops. However, Russian officials disagree with that assessment, reporting only 63 were killed. Neither claim has been independently verified. Reporter Matt Bradley explains the situation. Tonight, Ukraine's single deadliest attack against Russia in months, using American-supplied HIMARS rockets to level this vocational college that Russia had been using as a barracks for newly recruited troops in the east. Russia's Ministry of Defense saying 63 Russian soldiers died. Earlier today, Ukraine's military said as many as 400 newly recruited Russian soldiers were killed. Still, Russia is firing back, far from the front lines. Kyiv's mayor said air defenses shot down 39 Russian drones that swarmed the capital overnight. Bradley has spoken with a Ukrainian general who says that Russia is running out of missiles. The attacks mostly targeted the power grid, leaving many Ukrainians without heat and electricity in the bitter cold. Russia has launched these attacks since the fall, usually around once a week. But now they're daily. This was the fifth straight day of bombardments. Do you think that the Russians could run out of missiles, run out of drones? On the drones, it depends on how many Iran would be able to supply to Russia and how strong Western sanctions would be in reducing that supply. On missiles, now Russians are using their untouched spares. He credits anti-air weapons provided by the U.S. and Europe for swatting down most of the missiles and drones. While it is rare for Russia to confirm casualties, Some experts are saying that Moscow has to confirm the deaths as the attack was so deadly, remaining silent is not an option. Brian Clark is a senior fellow at the Hudson Institute and says that while Russia is far from showing signs of calling for peace talks, Russian citizens are growing more unhappy with how the war is going. 
Russia still has a long ways to go before it breaks, per se, uh, because they have a lot of troops they're still uh, mobilizing. Um, this is the result in large part of Russian mistakes tactically. Uh, but they could continue to go in this war for quite a, lo uh, a long time still. The challenge will be trying to keep the domestic uh, population behind it, because there's already a lot of uh, voices inside Russia uh, criticizing the government, criticizing the field commanders for how they played this out, uh, how they positioned troops next to munitions uh, bunkers, which is something that you know, well known is something you don't do in, in wartime. So uh, I think that's going to be the question is how long the Russian people are going to continue to put up with uh, the poor performance of the military in the field. Clark goes on to say that the U.S. is helping now with intelligence. There is some intelligence sharing that's going on that's helping to to feed the Ukrainian uh, battle planning. Um, and so the Ukrainians have done a great job of building their own uh, software packages and command and control systems uh, that they can use, but they needed to be fed with uh, outside intelligence. Some of that's coming from commercial satellite companies. Uh, some of that's coming from the U.S. government. And they're able to integrate that and create plans such as this attack that, we're gonna, that are going to be devastating. So this is partly the result of just great um, planning and creativity on the part of the Ukrainians, but it is there. there is some U.S. support happening here as well. Clark explains how U.S. intelligence is walking a delicate line by sharing intel with the Ukrainians. The U U.S. has been carefully calibrating its level of support, so it's probably about the same as it was earlier in the war. You remember uh, earlier in the war, there were several situations where the Ukrainians were able to attack Russian command posts and kill Russian generals when they happened to be there at the command post. Uh, that was uh, supported partly by U.S. intelligence uh, and partly just due to good planning on the part of the Ukrainians. So I think it's about the same level of support, uh, and the U.S. is carefully trying to avoid seeming like it's getting farther into the war uh, and avoid giving Putin a pre text for escalation. Looking ahead, retired Air Force General Cedric Layton says that, in his opinion, Putin is looking to eliminate Ukraine from the map. He's really looking at uh, a false narrative, but he's trying to convince the Russian people and really the rest of the world uh, that the Russian cause is the one that is the defensive cause. In other words, he's doing all of this because he believes Russia has been wrong. He believes that Russia needs to move forward and protect its borders. And one way to protect those borders is to prevent the pernicious influence from the West from getting to Russia through countries like Ukraine. So there's no better way to protect Russia, in his logic, than to go after Ukraine and eliminate that as a threat uh, for for Russia. And that's what he's trying to do. He's, he's really uh, kind of doing an Alice through the looking glass type uh, situation here. And it's, uh, it's uh, really telling how different his worldview is compared to that of, uh, say, President Zelensky or our own worldview. Leighton explains what he believes will be Putin's next moves on the battlefield. So I think what he's going to do is he's going to double down quite a bit on the kinds of things that, that he's doing right now. You will see more attacks on the civilian infrastructure, unfortunately. Uh, you will also see attempts, perhaps, to move Russian forces a bit forward into uh, areas of the Donbass in the eastern part of the country that uh, the Russians have either lost control of or have not gained complete control of up to up until this point. However, the Ukrainians have a, a lot of uh, momentum on their side. They also have the ability to use their logistical supply chain much better than the Russians do. So the Russians are going to have some considerable difficulties trying to reach their war aims, uh, but Putin is 
is going to try to leverage as many different things that he can in order to, at the very least, reach a stalemate in this war. Uh, hopefully he won't be able to do that, but that is his, his definite goal. Layton highlights what are a few weaknesses right now in Putin's military. I think uh, what you know we're seeing is some severe shortages in his supply chain. We're seeing some real difficulties getting uh, his Russian forces ready. Uh, the fact that he had to conscript 300,000 uh, new people basically into the Russian military on an emergency basis shows that there is a, a great deal of weakness in the existing Russian military. Those weaknesses will continue and they'll uh, be made worse by the kinds of things that he's doing right now. Uh, so what, what Putin is, is trying to do uh, is put a, a really good uh, look at everything, but his ability to conduct offensive operations is going to be severely tested, and I think it's going to fail. On Monday, House GOP leader Kevin McCarthy conceded to a few demands in order to shore up votes for his campaign to become House Speaker, which includes making it easier to topple the Speaker. Tonight, Republicans are just hours away from taking back control of the House, hoping to tackle an ambitious conservative agenda. But tomorrow they have to elect a speaker, and that may be harder than it sounds. Do you want the vote for speaker tomorrow? Republican leader Kevin McCarthy, who won the party's nomination for the job in November, now faces a small right-wing revolt, more than a dozen members preparing to oppose him. With Republicans' narrow majority, it's enough votes to keep him out of the speaker's job. There's nothing he's done to earn my vote. He's part of the swamp cartel. Nine Republicans releasing a letter pressing McCarthy for rule changes, including making it easier to remove a speaker. But McCarthy has the support of former President Trump and several high-profile House conservatives. And his allies are urging the party to unite around him, hoping to avoid a speaker's race going beyond the first ballot for the first time in 100 years. Late tonight, a top House conservative urging colleagues to vote for McCarthy. I hope we can come together and we get focused on what we got to do. Republicans hoping to settle their leadership debate and focus on their agenda, including targeting Biden administration priorities like hiring new IRS agents and ramping up investigations of COVID, the record migrant surge on the southern border, and the FBI. We can't do anything until we elect that speaker. We've got so much work behind us, and we need to start on the very first day. The Senate also returns to work tomorrow with Democrats holding a one-seat advantage. The narrow margins in both chambers means 2023 will either be a year of bipartisanship or of gridlock and dysfunction. However, for some Republicans, that may still not be enough. Republican Representative Bob Good of Virginia lays out why he still says he will not vote for Kevin McCarthy. No, I won't be voting for Kevin McCarthy tomorrow. He's part of the problem. He's not part of the solution. I'll be following the will of my constituents, the voters of Virginia's 5th District, who hundreds of which have told me over the past couple of years not to support Kevin McCarthy. What I told them uh, when I started my first term two years ago is I would judge him by what he did as minority leader, and there's nothing he's done to earn my vote. There's nothing that indicates to me that he's going to change his pattern since he's been in leadership where he's part of the swamp cartel. He's the reason 
reason uh, on the Republican side, while we passed massive omnibus spending bills like just got rammed down our throats by Republicans in the Senate, he was part of that in leadership uh, since he's been in leadership over the past eight years. Uh, there's nothing about Kevin McCarthy that indicates that he will bring the change that's needed to Washington or that's needed to the Congress, or he'll bring the fight, fight against the Biden-Schumer agenda and represent the interests of the voters who sent us to Washington to bring real change. For his part, McCarthy made his case for the speakership in a dear colleague letter and offered promises, including ensuring that the ideological groups are better represented on committees. McCarthy can only stand to lose four votes and... As of now, there are five Republicans who have dubbed themselves Never Kevins, which means that the California Republican still has a lot of work to do before the vote comes down later today. Niall Stanage, the White House columnist for The Hill, says that the concessions made by McCarthy still won't guarantee him the speakership. What happened is that he needs the votes and he still doesn't have them having made the concession. This was clearly an appeal, Adrian, to these uh, Republicans who are opposed to Kevin McCarthy. The ho most hardcore block of that is five people. They have not guaranteed that they will now vote for him after having made this concession. He didn't want to make the concession because obviously it leaves the role of Speaker much more imperiled. It only requires a few votes to uh, open up the possibility of a Speaker being deposed. Stanage says that the Republicans who won't support McCarthy simply do not trust him. They just don't trust him. That's the bottom line. That's why these concessions aren't really working. It's like any form of professional or personal relationship. If you don't trust the person, then you're going to look at a, in a pretty skeptical way at any promises they make. On the other hand, as your question mentioned, there's a whole other block of more moderate Republican lawmakers who consider themselves only Kevin. They will not vote for anyone else other than Kevin McCarthy. Meanwhile, you have the holdouts on the other side saying never Kevin. And how that gets reconciled is not clear at this point. Either. Stanage explains how McCarthy may be hoping for a way to lower the threshold of votes needed for the House Speaker. Not in the sense of flipping through 180 degrees to support him. His main hope, I think, is that those people either vote present or don't show up at all. This is a somewhat complicated situation, but in short, you need the majority of the people who vote for a named candidate. So if people don't vote for a named candidate, if they abstain or they just don't show, that brings down the threshold that you need, and that lower threshold maybe is one that McCarthy can meet. Katie Hobbs has been sworn in as governor of Arizona. Daybreak Insider's Ed Donahue has more details. She is the 24th governor of Arizona, the fifth woman governor, and the first Democratic governor in the state since 2009. I, Kathleen Marie Hobbs, do solemnly swear 
With her parents, husband, and two children beside her, Hobbs was sworn in away from the microphones in a private ceremony at the state capitol. There will be a public ceremony for her and other statewide office holders Thursday. Hobbs narrowly defeated Republican Carrie Lake, a former television anchor who was backed by former President Donald Trump. Hobbs assumes control of a state with a strong economy, but Phoenix has some of the nation's highest inflation levels and housing costs have soared. I'm Ed Donahue. According to a growing number of financial experts, the world economy in 2023 is heading for a downturn. Barclays Capital now says 2023 will go down as one of the worst for the world economy in nearly four decades. Ned Davis Research puts the odds of a severe global downturn at 65%. Fidelity International reckons a hard landing now looks unavoidable. Due to the Federal Reserve's efforts to stymie inflation, many economic experts believe that the aggressive rate hikes will cause a recession that will hit both sides of the Atlantic. Sound Planning Group CEO David Strzewski says there are a lot of reasons why his outlook for the new year isn't very positive. We're below the 200-day moving average, not very bullish. Mm -hmm. Uh, Additionally, uh, we're about to be facing, you know, earnings season coming up here in the next few weeks and uh, ultimately find out, you know, how analysts' uh, expectations actually, uh, you know, rounded out. And so I don't feel very positive as we're as we're heading into 2023. I agree that, uh, you know, with with Federal Reserve Chairman Powell, that we're going to be higher for longer as it, it seems that inflation is a little bit sticky as we're reshoring different parts of our economy, as there's supply chain challenges still kind of being spotty out there. And, uh, you know, ultimately borrowing costs have doubled uh, over this year. So that really affects consumers. That really affects corporate uh, uh, earnings and uh, especially junk bonds. So, um, you know, I'm very concerned right now, uh, but I have an optimistic, uh, you know, personality. Uh, but uh, here's reality. However, Moody Analytics, Mark Zandi thinks there is a reason to have some hope in 2023, as in his opinion, some financial data could be distorted. I think the message is muddled from the bond market. And of course, we're talking about the yield curve, uh, long-term rates versus short-term rates. And uh, there's a number of uh, factors, I think, that are making it difficult to interpret but, uh, you know, the most obvious is the Fed's quantitative easing. I mean, just to give you a sense of that, the, if you look at the balance sheet, the Fed's balance sheet today, they, they have uh, roughly $5 trillion of Treasury securities, mortgage-backed securities with maturities of more than 10 years on the balance sheet. That's more than double what it was back just prior to the pandemic, a $2.5 trillion increase. So you do a little bit of arithmetic, you could pretty much explain away the inversion of the curve by that fact alone. But... Uh, yeah, I, I, I just think the uh, I, I would not rest, I, I would not be a slave to the yield curve, certainly not in the current environment, given all the distortions that are possible here. Zandi goes on to say that while the job market signals what he believes is a stable economy, he does admit that high inflation is crushing low-income households. I'm painting with a very broad brush across the entire economy, across all 130 million American households. So, yeah, I mean, low-income households are getting crushed here. And for them, 
this is a depression, but you know, for the overall economy, all 130 million American households, it's not. Uh, you know, a recession is a broad-based persistent decline in economic activity. Broad-based means lots of industries, not just housing, not just manufacturing, but a lot of industries. And persistent means over a long period of time. And the tell is is employment, jobs, unemployment. Uh, that's not consistent with the idea that we're in recession or even that we're even close to going into recession. I mean, at this point, we're creating a boatload of jobs and certainly enough to absorb the labor force, the growth in the labor force and keep unemployment lows. Investors found few, if any, places to safely put their money in 2022. Daybreak Insider's Jeremy House has this analysis. Central banks in the U.S. and around the globe raised interest rates for the first time in years in 2022 to fight surging inflation, stoking fear of a global recession. Uncertainty about how far the Federal Reserve and other central banks would go in the fight against inflation sparked a return of volatility. Large swings in stocks were common on Wall Street as the Fed raised its key interest rates seven times and signaled more hikes to come. has returned a looted ancient Egyptian artifact. Daybreak Insider's Rita Foley has more on this story. It's an ancient wooden coffin, a sarcophagus that dates back to the late dynastic period of ancient Egypt, an era that spanned from 664 B.C. until Alexander the Great's campaign in 332 B.C. It may have belonged to an ancient priest. It had been on display at the Houston Museum of Natural Sciences. But three months ago, the Manhattan DA's office determined it had been looted from an area north of Cairo and smuggled into the U.S. in 2008, trafficked by a well-organized network that has done this with other antiquities, says the DA. I'm Rita Foley. And finally, the NFL game between the Bills and the Bengals was postponed Monday night after Bills safety DeMar Hamlin collapsed on the field and was administered CPR and then was rushed by an ambulance to a local hospital. Welcome back to Cincinnati where medical personnel have been working on Bill safety DeMar Hamlin for the last nine minutes. Hamlin made a hit. He got up, took a couple of steps, and then just fell to the ground. We don't know, of course, the extent of his injuries, but the entire Bills team is out on the field right now. Several players are down on their knees. Other players are holding hands, praying. You can just see the worried looks uh, on their faces. As soon as we have more, uh, Joe, we'll pass it on up to you guys in the booth. Hamlin collapsed on the field during a play in the first quarter. He received oxygen as he was placed in the ambulance and was taken off the field some 16 minutes after collapsing and then was driven to the University of Cincinnati Medical Center. ESPN's Lisa Salters reporting from the field says that the players were scared for Hamlin. It's hard uh, because, like you guys have said, this is a this is a human being, and all you can really think about is, you know, I hope I hope that guy is okay. We we've seen players go down with head injuries before, and uh, as horrible as that may sound, it, we've grown accustomed to it. Seeing guys take hard hits, uh, see them stay down for a little while, get back up, give the thumbs up, and mm-hmm. and that's all we were all hoping for was that 
that DeMar Hamlin was going to get up and that he was going to get on in that ambulance. He was going to give us a thumbs up and we were all going to know that he was okay. And, and, and when that didn't happen, I think this entire stadium was just devastated. I mean, I mean, right now, all I can really think about is, is that player, his teammates, just seeing the agony on their faces, the concern on their faces. They're scared for him right now, and they should be. Uh, we all should be. Uh, but to see them hugging each other, uh, down on their knees, praying for him, his coach, the other team, their head coach, those players, uh, just to see how much unity and and just unified concern that they all had for this young man. Um, it's been overwhelming. There's a pall over the stadium right now. Uh, like you said, Scott, you come to work. We're expecting to see the game of the season. Uh, and what we got was so terrible. But that doesn't really matter. All that really matters is, uh, is DeMar Hamlin and his family. And we just can't say it enough that we hope that he's okay. At last update. Hamlin remains in critical condition and is intubated. Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at DaybreakInsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at SRNNews.com and TownHall.com. Thanks for starting your day with us. I'm Mike Scott. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.